0: Welcome in the name of the Lord. This is David Olford. The expository biblical message you're about to hear was delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen Olford. This message is made available to you by the Stephen Olford Ministry Legacy, LLC. We trust that this message from the Word of God will be a blessing to you. Now here is my father, Dr. Stephen Olford. May the words of my
1: mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Now will you turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Our theme this morning, then, is the search of the shepherds. Have you ever wondered why God chose shepherds to be the first recipients of the glorious news of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Surely among the reasons that might be listed is that important statement in the Magnificat where Mary says in her song, God hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. The shepherds were despised by the Orthodox Jews of the day and the very nature of things. They were quite unable to keep the ceremonial law. They were too busy with their flocks to attend to the hand washings and the other rules and regulations of the religious life. Their flocks made too many demands upon them. And so the shepherds were looked down upon as very common people. But notwithstanding this, God recognized their dedication. And I believe that's one reason why they became the recipients of that wonderful announcement that Jesus had actually been born. Also, it seems to me that God revealed his secret to these men because of their occupation. We're familiar with the fact that an unblemished lamb was offered every morning and every evening in the temple as a sacrifice, foreshadowing the coming of the blessed Lamb of God who should take away the sins of the world. To see that that supply of perfect offerings was always available, the temple official actually hired their own shepherds on those Bethlehem hills to ten flocks that were used specifically for the temple offerings. And it's most likely, therefore, that these very shepherds to whom the light broke through And the announcement was made were the very men who took those little lambs day by day to be offered in the temple. And it seems a wonderful and precious and tender thought that they were the people to whom was made known first and foremost that the Lamb of God had indeed come. Another thought which occurs to me is that God selected these shepherds because of their expectation. After the angelic announcement, you remember, fear not, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You remember what they said? Come, come, let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And I have a feeling that just as there was expectation in the heart of Simeon and Anna, Just as God begat that expectation in the Magi away out there in Persia or Arabia, so in the hearts of these shepherds there was an expectation. They eked out a meager living. They were poor and despised people. But near to the earth and ever being reminded of the lamb that was offered, day by day, deep down in their hearts, there must have been this expectation, honored from heaven by the glorious announcement that Jesus had indeed come. Yes, these shepherds were seeking someone, and they were not disappointed. It is clear, therefore, that this narrative we read this morning is the story of the search of the shepherds. And I want us to join that little group this morning. On this Sunday, we've set aside to celebrate our Savior's birth. I want everybody in this audience, those listening to my voice over Radioland. I want you in spirit and in mood and with mind and heart and will, to follow that little band of shepherds. And I want you to notice three things. First and foremost, the shepherds ascertain the facts concerning Christ. The shepherds ascertain the facts concerning Christ. Verse 15, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us an event of tremendous significance had just taken place. The stillness of the night had been broken by an angelic announcement, accompanied with a blaze of glory and a chorus of voices. Transfixed with fear and yet with wonder, the shepherds heard the words we've quoted already this morning, Fear not, for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, our savior which is christ the lord this shall be a sign unto you ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger this heavenly news was so astonishing fraught with such far reaching consequences that these shepherds decided and determined there and then to ascertain the facts observe carefully that they seriously ascertain the facts concerning christ There was a seriousness about their search. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. My dear friends, at this point nothing really mattered except to ascertain these facts. Even the sheep under their care were secondary at that particular moment. They must go at once and see this thing which the Lord had made known unto them. How these shepherds condemn us today. How these shepherds condemn our city, our country. How these shepherds condemn a so-called enlightened world. Indeed, may I make it personal? How these shepherds condemn your heart and mine. Here we are, 2,000 years after the event recorded in this story, and yet as men and women, we have failed to ascertain the facts, as we should have done. Christmas comes, year by year, and for the most part, we ignore the significance of this holy occasion. Let me ask you, Christian, how many hours have you spent this past week how many hours do you seriously intend to spend these coming days in giving yourself unreservedly and with abandoned mind, heart, and will to the ascertaining of the greatest facts of history? This past week, an announcement was made concerning two scientists who presumably or allegedly have discovered how life can emerge. And from the highest down to the lowest, congratulations have been sent to these two scientists. It has been described as the most startling invention or discovery of the ages. I wonder how ignorant, how pathetically ignorant we can be about the greatest fact that ever took place in the history of the world. The coming into time of Jesus Christ. How far have you ascertained the facts? The fact that God has invaded history for the purpose of redeeming the human race. The fact that Jesus has died that man may live. The fact that salvation depends entirely upon the acceptance of this Jesus who is Christ the Lord. The fact that Christmas has a claim upon people as individuals. This fact and these facts and more fail to engage our serious attention. Oh, that we might join that shepherd group this morning. Oh, that we might seriously... Ascertain the facts. Not very long ago, two lads walked into a shop at Christmas time. One of them picked up a greeting card and, seeing the infant Jesus depicted on this particular card, nudged his friend and exclaimed, Imagine that! They're even trying to drag religion into Christmas now. You might well smile at that story, but I wonder if that isn't a description of the attitude in our materialistic age in our beloved America today. Yes, the outlook is not so much of opposition or hostility. In one sense, I wish it were, because the church would know where she stands and would be able to articulate her message with clarity. But alas, the reverse is so sadly true. Men and women, boys and girls couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. The church, the Christian message, the fact of Christmas are all irrelevant and meaningless. Know that we might follow the shepherd's example. And seriously, ascertain the facts. I know how ashamed in my own heart I am, even as I've prepared this message, and how the very study of this story drove me to do reading I may not have done, had it not been for the example of these shepherds. God alone knows I've been poring over these scriptures again and again, tracing them back into the Old Testament, taking down from my library book after book to read into the wonder, the mystery, the glory of this transcending, stupendous act that God came into time. And that the greatest thing ever happened in the universe happened that night in Bethlehem. They seriously ascertained the facts. But notice in the second place that they speedily ascertained the facts. Look at verse 16. They came with haste. They came with haste. Underscore that in your Bible. To them the whole matter was not only important, it was urgent. It was not only primary, but it required haste. They could not delay. They had to go to Bethlehem and investigate the facts. They had to find out whether these angelic announcers were true. This sense of urgency concerning God's way of salvation as revealed in Christ punctuates revelation from Genesis through to the end of the book. Quoting from the Old Testament and including the message of the New, Paul puts it in no uncertain terms when he says, in the very book we have been studying these past weeks, behold, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God's message of salvation in Christ is now is now. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour which is Christ the Lord. We cannot afford to be casual or careless with God. Indeed, the very thought of such an attitude savours of arrogant presumption. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that we're worried about at this Christmas time are gifts our trees, our festivities, our friends, our presents, whatever it is, all these things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, let us see at this Christmas time that we come with all seriousness, with all haste, with all speed to the cradle of the Christ. Here is God's answer to man's basic need. One would think that was war in almost every country, in some form or degree, with sin abounding on every hand, with darkness hanging over us, with everything calculated to make us afraid, that never in the history of the world would a nation particularly as favored as our own give consideration with seriousness and haste to the only answer that God has to this world and for this world. The shepherds ascertain the facts concerning Christ. But in the second place, will you notice that the shepherds accepted the findings concerning Christ? In verse 16, we read, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. These three things that the shepherds found, let's look at them very carefully. Notice in verse 16, they found the miracle of the Savior's birth. That's the first thing they found, the miracle of the Savior's birth. Why? Because we read they found Mary. She is actually named They Found Mary, and it's interesting they found Mary, and she's mentioned first they found Mary. The witness of Mary centered in the miracle of the Savior's birth. Without question, Mary was the mother of Jesus. She had never known a man. What was humanly impossible had become possible with God. The Holy Ghost had come upon her, and the Holy Ghost had wrapped her about, and in her was conceived the very life of God. That holy thing that was born of her was called none other than the Son of God. The natural process of birth brought the infant Christ to the point of delivery. But the miracle of supernatural conception that preserved that little life from any taint of sin was initiated by God. His was a supernatural and a sinless birth. And so as the shepherd looked into Mary's face, they saw a miracle. They saw a miracle. It was the miracle of the birth of Christ, and they knelt and they worshiped. Ladies and gentlemen here at Calvary Baptist Church this morning, and wherever this message is heard, I believe in the virgin birth, and I believe in the supernatural sinless conception, and I believe that if this were not so, I would not have a Savior, for if that Savior was born like any other child, that he would have had the taint of sin, and he would have needed a Savior himself. But I believe that the miracle of the Savior's birth is the miracle of a supernatural, sinless birth, in which a Savior without the taint of sin was brought through to the point of delivery to become my Savior, and he was supernatural, and he was sinless, and therefore he was my Savior, and therefore yours. Certainly, I believe in the miracle of the Savior's birth. And they knelt before Mary, and they accepted this finding. They heard the story from Mary's lips. How came the child to be born? Who is this child? Is the message of the angel true that unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord? And Mary said, yes, and I'll tell you why. But further notice, they found not only the miracle of the Savior's birth, but secondly, the message of the Savior's birth. They found Joseph. They found not only Mary, but they found Joseph. The witness of Joseph, of course, centered in the message of the Saviour's birth, for it was to Joseph that the angel had appeared, saying, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. As the shepherds heard these words from Joseph's lips, they learned of a wonderful Saviour born to set men and women free. In fact, Joseph witnessed, too, and confirmed what the angelic hosts had been singing just a few moments previously. For unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Whatever else we think about Christmas, the thought of the Saviorhood of Jesus Christ is preeminent. Christ came into the world not primarily to teach, or to reform, or to heal, or even to raise the dead. He came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And the supreme message of Crispus is the message of the saviorhood of Jesus Christ. They ascertained the facts, but they accepted the findings. They accepted Mary representing the miracle of the birth. They accepted Joseph representing the message of the birth. But look again, they found the babe lying in a manger. They found the babe lying in a manger. They found the miracle of the birth. They found the message of the birth but they also found the majesty of the Savior's birth. They found the babe lying in a manger, and the witness of the babe centered in the majesty of the Savior's birth. God had contracted to the measure of a little infant. Only God could do this. Man always aspires. God condescends. God always condescends. Thus we had here the revelation of the majesty of our God. Look at these words again. Concentrate on them. Look at that verse 16. The babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger in the babe we see the majesty of his identity that babe was god that babe was god himself god contracting to the measure of a woman's womb god contracting to a little infant god being born they looked into a babe's face and they saw god god manifest in the flesh. So in the babe, we see the majesty of his identity. In the swaddling clothes, the majesty of his simplicity. Oh, the majesty of simplicity. That one diagonal cloth with a bandage in which that precious little life was wrapped up. Oh, the simplicity of it. Oh, the majesty of the simplicity. In the lowly manger, in the lowly manger, the majesty of his humility. The majesty of his humility, not in the palace in Jerusalem, not in an ivory cot, not with overlaid gold, not with scented sheets, not with tapestry, but in a manger, in a manger, with beasts around, in the stench of cattle, obeyed on hay in a manger. Oh, the humility of it all, yea, the majesty of oh, that humility. Does this not make you want to worship and adore, my friend? Whether or not you want to, the shepherds did, the shepherds did. They knelt in that little cave by the manger, and accepted their findings, and believed, and believed, nothing was clearer to them than the miracle of his birth, nothing was clearer to them than the message of his birth, nothing was clearer to them at that moment than the majesty of his birth. The angel was right when he said to the shepherds unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the anointed Messiah, prophet, priest, and king and Lord. I want to ask you a personal question, my friend. Have you accepted those findings? Have you accepted those findings? Have you been serious enough? Have you been concerned enough? Have you been speedy enough to ascertain the facts that have brought you to the findings? Are you awed? Are you filled with wonder, love, and praise, as here on this Christmas Sunday that we have set aside, you recognize afresh that there was a miracle there, there was a message there, there was a majesty there, wrapped up in the infant Christ. But have you accepted those findings? Indeed, have you accepted the Christ? Have you, like Simeon, a few days later, taken that infant Christ into your arms? And have you prayed, Lord, lettest thou thy servant now depart in peace for mine eyes, have seen thy salvation. I've seen salvation. And he was looking into the face of the infant Christ. Have you accepted the findings? Your answer to that will be tested by our closing and thrilling thought. One other thought emerges from this wonderful story. Look at it with B. The shepherds announced the faith concerning Christ. The shepherds announced the faith concerning Christ. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And they returned glorifying God and praising him for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. A careful study of the language makes it very clear that the shepherds had accepted the announcement from heaven as a special word to their heart. The original, the Greek here, has a significant emphasis. When they said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing. Pick up those two words for a moment. This thing which is come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. They were literally saying, let us investigate this word, this word with an emphasis on the word, this word which the Lord hath made known unto us. The Bible reminds us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This word, this word that came through from heaven amidst the blaze of glory and the chorus of song, this word had created faith in their heart. They'd investigated the facts. They'd accepted the findings. Now they had a faith to proclaim and to announce it was the faith wrapped up in Christ, the faith wrapped up in Christ. This word, yes, now they proceeded to announce the faith which they had received when they knelt before the cradle of the Christ. The evidence that anyone has received authentic faith is that he cannot keep it to himself. He must announce it. He must share it. So we're not surprised to find that the shepherds did just that. This is something people are not aware of. They don't realize that a faith which has been created by the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, is a faith that cannot be kept secret. There is a dynamic within that faith. There's an explosive power within that faith. And anyone who says he has a faith of Christ and doesn't share it, lie. For it's a faith that breaks through. It's got to come through. You can't contain it. Like a seed that's alive that bursts asunder a rock and cleaves a building in twain, Like a spring that bubbles up and cannot be hidden. Like the light that shines in every part of darkness, faith must come out. And so it's always been. Inherent in faith in Christ is a dynamic which bursts, or shyness, reticent, or anything calculated to keep back that testimony, it comes through. And so it was in this case. And I want you to notice how it happened. They publicly announced their faith. They publicly announced their faith. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. One commentator has put it, these men at the bottom of the social scale of Israel were chosen as the first preachers of the newborn king. The first preachers of the newborn king. And as they made known their story, the news spread to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem even unto the uttermost part of the earth, and many believe that the Magi, who searched the skies for the star that God put there, for it says it's his star, heard first the news because of those shepherds, nearly two years later, and brought them to Nazareth and to the house where the young child lay, in order to offer their gold and frankincense and myrrh. For it wasn't to the cave at Bethlehem that the wise man came, but to a house as you'll see from your clear reading of the word of God. How did they hear? How did they hear? Was it only the prophecy of which we were singing this morning, the star out of Jacob? Possibly so. But what brought them there? Was it only the star? Methinks it was more than that. The story of the shepherds had reached the ends of the earth, and there is historical evidence to prove that. And indeed, that story has come down through 2,000 years of history and we're sharing fragments of it. Here this morning, the first preachers of the birth of Christ were the shepherds. They announced their faith. They made it known abroad. They couldn't hold it to themselves. My friend, this was characteristic of early Christianity. In less than a generation after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, in less than a generation after that he'd poured out the Holy Ghost from heaven, In less than a generation, the whole of the then-known world was penetrated by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There wasn't a nation under heaven that hadn't heard that Jesus Christ had come and died and rose again. This was characteristic of that dynamic faith of primitive Christianity. So we see that the shepherds publicly announced their faith. Publicly announced their faith. What an indictment this is on preachers, Sunday school teachers, businessmen professional men who move through a week and never open their mouth to speak their faith and have so sealed their lips that even their lives fail to glow with the glory of that indwelling faith. I wonder how many of us over this Christmas time have gone through our business life as usual, having caught up in all the machinery of the technological age in which we find ourselves, and this past week you haven't once opened your mouth to talk about your faith. Oh, that we might learn from these shepherds. They publicly announced their faith, but more than that, they praisefully announced their faith. Oh, I love that thought. Look at the word again in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. There was nothing apologetic or pessimistic about their testimony. Oh, no. On the contrary, we read that they glorified God and praised God for all the things that had heard. They had heard, and it happened unto them. Once again, of course, this spirit of praisefulness was one of the distinguishing marks of the early Christians. We read, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, that they continued daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking of bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And as a result, Luke adds, The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. There was something contagious or infectious about their faith. People could not resist the reality and radiance with which they spoke of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Surely this is one of the missing features in our Christian witness today. People are unimpressed simply because they see nothing joyful about our Christian faith. After all, the message of Christmas is the gospel of joy, which shall be to all people. It's a joyous message, so it should be a contagious message. Christ came to bring joy. He could say to his disciples even before the cross and on the very eve of the cross, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Let me remind you that this joy is something far deeper and far more lasting than happiness. Happiness is the emotional outworking of that which is joy, but joy is a matter of the spirit. Joy is a gift of the Holy Ghost. Joy never varies, never varies. No one can challenge that word because joy is Holy Ghost, and he never varies. When a man really knows the joy of the Lord, it never varies. Happiness may have emotional fluctuations, but joy ever remains the same. And it's the message of Christmas, at the very heart of Christmas, is this note of joy. And to you, I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So we see that the announcement of faith should not only be public, public, but praiseful, glorifying God. What a wonderful story this is. And as we followed the search of the shepherds, surely we have been made to ascertain the facts concerning Christ. May I add, I trust that we have been made to accept the findings concerning Christ. Now what are we to do? We're to go out and announce it. We're to announce our faith concerning Christ. And only when Christ becomes personal, real, radiant in our heart as Savior and Lord, can we turn to the world outside and make known the things which have happened unto us concerning this holy child, who is none other than the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Let me ask a simple question. As we close this morning, what does Christmas mean to you? We've seen what it meant to those shepherds pasturing their sheep on the Bethlehem hills in one of the darkest nights history has ever known. The picture couldn't be blacker. God's moment had arrived. The fullness of time had come, and all the preparations necessary had reached their zenith point and into that blackness of a night of sin described for us in the first chapter of Romans. God broke through from heaven. And it was so transporting, so utterly astonishing, that these shepherds were just carried out of themselves almost. And they said, we've got to find out the facts. We've got to ascertain these facts. And when confronted with them, they accepted their findings. And they went out to announce their faith. The search of the shepherds. That's what Christmas meant to them. What does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to me? Oh, God, grant that we shall join those shepherds this morning, all the way, all the way. Determine the facts, receive the findings, go out to tell the story, announcing our faith throughout this Christmas tide and always, publicly, joyfully. We've nothing to be ashamed of. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Let us pray. Father, shield home by thy Holy Spirit the message contained in this glorious narrative. Grant that we shall not be any less serious or urgent, that those shepherds of old, with the fuller enlightenment we have, grant us to go all the way, and more than all the way, the second mile, in making known this glorious message, in our homes, in our places of business, and standing with the churches we represent, that the world might know that the light has come. Christ has become the Savior of the world.
0: We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.